Welcome back to Historical Context. Today we conclude, finally conclude, our series on Virginia during the Restoration. We last left off in January 1682 when the king drafted new instructions for Lord Culpepper in Virginia. And today we discuss the aftermath of those instructions. Not much information exists in the first few months of 1682 other than Lord Culpepper's own account written the following year. According to Lord Culpepper, a ban on the planting of tobacco was uh, not in effect and it was angering many of the planters. They wanted that ban in place to help boost price. An assembly had been called in December 1681, which we actually don't have the notes on, so we don't know what happened, and it predates the king's instructions. But we do know from Culpepper's writing, he says nothing was accomplished. So I guess not having access to it doesn't make any difference. It appears as if the assembly and the council were heavily divided on how to handle this planting of tobacco issue. On January 10th, the council met, and it was determined that Mr. Beverly was causing uh, quite a bit of trouble in the colony, and he should be brought into custody. Beverly was upset about the lack of a planting ban. He was not officially arrested, but he was removed from all offices, and that included uh, clerk. Due to his, quote, rudeness and sauciness, William Fitzhugh is the only person uh, whose writings we have for the month of February, and he states that the problem started in his area when the sheriff died and his estate was confiscated by the colony. The estate confiscation is a violation of the king's instructions, and Fitzhugh mentions that Mr. Beverly was involved, but he does not describe his behavior or state of mind. Fitzhugh also mentions in March chasing someone off his property who had been indiscriminately cutting down trees. According to Culpepper, Sir Henry Chickaly calls an assembly in April without the consent of the council, and that is in violation of one of the king's 82 instructions that we read some of last week. Uh, and by then, they had been received, so Chickaly already violating uh, the king's orders. The assembly met on April 18, 1682. In a letter to the governor, the assembly acknowledges that the colony is in a pivotal moment of crisis surrounding the tobacco plant. Besides the tobacco crisis, the assembly also struggled with whether or not to disband the soldiers, which are now being funded out of their own pockets. And there was a concern regarding the frontier security from the natives. Not a lot happened in this assembly. On April 24th, William Fitzhugh, who was a Burgess at the time, spoke regarding the grievances of his area. He expressed concern regarding the records of the assembly being shipped to the king two years prior and no response having come back. He was concerned that the colony was following proper procedure and he wanted a committee formed to investigate. I'd consider the king's lengthy instructions, which we talked about last week, those instructions to Culpepper, 
a pretty appropriate response for those concerns. The assembly adjourns the following day when word comes in that natives were attacking colonists in Maryland. Secretary Nicholas Spencer would later call the time of this assembly misspent in a letter with the journals sent back to England. On May 8th, Henry Chickaly writes about a change in the colony. Let's have a look. About a week ago, there happened a strange insurrection in the heart of this Your Majesty country, of which I beseech Your Majesty to permit me as in the duty bound to give this short account. The people of Gloucester have cut up their own and others growing tobacco near 200 plantations, as I am credibly informed to the great prejudice of many loyal inhabitants and no small detriment to your majesty's interest. Chickaly goes on to tell the king that he dispatched an army to halt the cutting. We find out that Governor Culpepper is actually in England when this happens. Chickaly estimates in a subsequent letter that half of the tobacco in Gloucester County was destroyed. 22 people were arrested and all but two were released. According to Nicholas Spencer, the planters destroyed their own crops, then went to neighboring plantations and intimidated planters into destroying theirs. Governor Culpepper wrote about the incident. Let's have a look. I sometime after committed the persons of Somerset Davies, Bartholomew Black Austin, Richard Bailey, and Cochlin to prison for treason. This is upon Culpepper's return. Culpepper then goes on to describe the trial. Let's have a look. Both grand and petty jury, as great in every respect, if not the greatest that ever was impaneled in the colony, found the first three guilty. But the evidence not coming up so full against the last, he was acquitted. That was Cochlin. Of the three condemned, I ordered the chief Somerset Davies to be executed during the sitting of the court, and Black Austin before the courthouse in Gloucester County, where the insurrection first broke out. Culpepper goes on to mention Richard Bailey. He was the third person condemned. He was 19 years old. Culpepper says he was too young, and he was granted a reprieve. On June 17th, England received word of issues in Virginia, these issues being the cutting down of crops. The letter to England stated that Chickaly had not received the king's order prior to the calling of the assembly, which contradicts Culpepper's account. The account described the incident as a riot, and in fact, because of that, when you read certain things on the internet about 1682, they actually mentioned that there were riots. This is what they meant. People went around cutting down tobacco crop. And they stated that it actually ended up spreading over to New Kent County. It was at this time that Culpepper was ordered back to Virginia with the charge of repairing the government. After Culpepper leaves for Virginia, the English government continues to discuss the events of Virginia and how to proceed. 
the frigate charged with transporting Culpepper was asked to stay in Virginia until the threat of rebellion had passed. It was also ordered to confirm the massive amounts of arms and ammunition that were sent during Bacon's rebellion were still stored where they needed to be. In July, the Committee of Trade and Plantations and the King began considering possibly sending somebody over to help with the disorder. So not a group of commissioners like last time, but a special liaison, if you will. In his writings, Culpepper gives credit to Henry Chickaly and his assistance in government for quelling what he called the rebellion. In Henry Fitzhugh's July and August writings, it really seems like business as usual returned to Virginia. There is no official confirmation as to whether or not the two men involved in the riots were executed, but the fact that no documentation exists regarding a pardon or reduction of charges, we have to assume that they were. In fact, in 1683, a writing of uh, Secretary Nicholas Spencer uh, and he was a big ally of Culpepper's, by the way, did describe the two men as having, quote, deservedly suffered death. The assembly met again in November 1682. They passed a very detailed appropriations bill, sorted by county and itemized, and it was written in pounds tobacco. So remember the last episode or two, we've talked about sterling pounds of currency. Well, the but the total budget for the colony in pounds tobacco was 1,349,418 pounds tobacco, which leads me to believe that it was about 200 pounds tobacco to one sterling pound of English currency. That's probably what the, the, uh, the conversion rate was. And I'm betting the pounds tobacco the tobacco currency had been greatly devalued through the plummeting price of tobacco. Interestingly, about 3% of that budget, 46,600 pounds tobacco, was for the public charge of taking up runaways. This included both indentured servants and slaves. In February of 1683, William Fitzhugh writes, about a transaction of slaves that he uh, has been proposed to purchase. Somebody reached out to him, a Mr. Jackson in New England, offering to sell him slaves. And in his writing, Fitzhugh says that he will appropriate up to 50,000 pounds tobacco for the purchase of African slaves. He says that he's willing to pay 3,000 pounds tobacco for every child ages 7 to 11, 4,000 pounds for ages 11 to 15, and 5,000 pounds for ages 15 to 24. This is the first time that we've really seen detailed writings regarding slavery in the transaction since that uh, ship arrived in 1619. But I've noticed, as we've gotten to this point here in 1683, much less writing on indentured servitude, more restrictions on indentured servitude, and now people willing to pay English servants to come over. And I think there's been a shift here. And at a minimum, we're starting to see, based on what Fitzhugh is willing to spend, 
more emphasis being tr uh, put into slavery in Virginia at this point. And, uh, uh, and there isn't much more on that for that period of time, but we're going to continue to keep an eye on that to see how that evolves. Because if you use the exchange rate of 200 to 1, you're looking at about 60 pounds sterling for a, an age 7 to 11-year-old, uh, 80 pounds for 11 to 15, and 100 pounds for 15 to 24. That is uh, a fairly high price that Fitzhugh is offering. So the desperation for labor in the colony of Virginia clearly is becoming prevalent, and I think that's where we're going to start to really see a huge rise in slavery. Now, in the middle of 1683, Lord Culpepper suddenly leaves Virginia for England, and I don't think he had the permission that we talked about earlier, the king requesting uh, for somebody to leave. There's no writing regarding whether he followed those orders. He just left. He did write in September that he was very ill, but by then it was too late. In August, a commission was formed to review Culpepper's lifetime patent as the governor of Virginia. It was determined that he had forfeited it. Nicholas Spencer would serve as the acting governor until a new governor could be appointed and that would be Francis Howard, also known as Lord Howard of Effingham, who would arrive in the colony in 1684. Since there are very few writings that I have in my possession for 1684 to 1690, I think we are in a good spot to stop for our series on Virginia during the Restoration. And anything I have will pick up the next time that we're in Virginia. And so where do we go next? Well, we're going to head to Massachusetts Bay and look at that colony during the Restoration. And then I'm going to take a series on other colonies during the Restoration and kind of build them up together because we don't need to do 12 episodes on, on each colony during one period of time. That would, that would take just way too long. So we're going to go to Massachusetts Bay next, and we're going to spend about the same amount of time on them before looking at the rest of colonial America during the Restoration and moving on. And we'll do that next time on Historical Context. <music>